this morning, I want to talk about mustard seed faith. And of course, I'm going to talk about the love of God and the love of our Father, because that's the only message I have. I'm burning with it, guys. It's, I put all my eggs in this basket. God is love. His love is always good. I exist to grow sure. That's the message that I carry. That's the message that I preach. That's the grace on my life. I can go on about it and on about it and on about it and hopefully say something you've never heard, but I will tell you that it's the same message. He loves us. His love is always good. That's the gospel message. Amen? But this morning, I'm going to tell you about mustard faith, mustard seed faith that moves a mountain. We were singing about mountain moving this morning, and I thought, that God, he's so good. He just, he just sets me up. This is awesome. Matthew 17, is, this is the story. The story, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and he's having this powerful time with his father. And he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and some of the disciples are down in the valley, down at the base of the mountain. And here's what happens. The father brings his child who um, uh, uh, is demon-possessed, right? You know the story? The father brings his child to the disciples. He says uh, the, the demon's causing the boy to throw himself into the fire. And can you guys do something about it? And the disciples pray, and nothing happens. Then Jesus shows up on the scene, and the father brings the boy to Jesus. He says, I had your boys pray for him. Nothing happened. Uh, this is what's happening to my son. He's being thrown into the fire. Can you do something? And this is where I want to pick it up. Uh, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him, verse 14. Lord, have mercy on my son. He said he has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and, or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. All right, verse 17. This is what Jesus says. You unbelieving and perverse generation. The message says it this way. What a generation. No sense of God. No focus to your lives. Then Jesus replied, how long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Here's the message version. I like this. How many times do I have to go over these things? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. And then the disciples came to Jesus in private. They pulled him aside, and they said, okay, uh, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And here's Jesus' response. He replied, because you have so little faith. Then he says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is what he says. So the disciples, they say, Jesus, <clears throat> why couldn't we kick this demon out? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, well, guys, you don't have enough faith. And so the guys go, oh, Okay, we, we don't have enough faith. Okay, so then, like, how much faith do we need? And Jesus says, oh, just a mustard seed. Why couldn't we do it? Well, you don't have enough faith. Okay, so it's a matter of measurements. How much faith do we need? Well, it's not a matter of measurements, because you just need a mustard seed. So here's what's happening. Jesus has just spent time with his father. Now, Jesus is one with the father. He came, he lived, he died in complete intimacy. He reveals to us what it looks like to live confident in your father's affection, and he came and purchased that same access for us. Amen? 
And Jesus lives as an expression of love in perfect form. And he's living only doing what he sees his father, doing only saying what he hears his father saying. He's absolutely immersed. He's absolutely walking out this intimate lifestyle. He's up there with his father. If you know the story on the Mount of Transfiguration, the father shows up. There's other fellows there from the past and his glory and his face is glowing. And it's amazing. It's this intimate encounter. He comes down the mountain and he's immediately met with unbelief. And he says, you, you unbelieving perverse generation. And I love the message version, he basically says, the message version, he says, uh, uh, get it here, he says, oh, what a generation, no sense of God, no focus to your lives, and then he goes on, they, he goes on to cast this demon out, and then the disciples say, why couldn't we do it? He says, you just need a little bit of faith, and then they say, okay, how much? And he says, just a mustard seed, and for so long in my life, I've looked at that story and thought, oh, you just, Jesus is giving us a measurement. We just need a mustard seed. A mustard seed moves a mountain. A mustard seed, and I've somehow equated that as some sort of uh, measurement when I want to tell you that it's not about measurements, it's about a purity of revelation, and it's about intimacy. What happened was Jesus was on a mountain in the middle of an intimate encounter. He came down and he realized that there was men down here that had been walking with him that didn't have access to the same intimacy. I want to tell you right now that Jesus wasn't giving us a measurement of faith that moves a mountain. He was saying it's not about a measurement, it's about a revelation. He wasn't talking about the size of your faith, he was talking about the purity of your belief. He wasn't talking about the size of your actions or words or knowledge. He was talking about the size of your connection. He was talking about intimacy. I'm burning with more than, than we have time for this morning. I have a message I want to get to at the very end, a prophetic declaration I want to make over this church. I believe it's an hour word for this body. I believe it's an hour word for, the, for many in this body, and I want to get there. And I know we're, we're, we're okay with uh, running, running over a little bit. But in 30 minutes, if I haven't mentioned Joshua and Caleb, somebody yell amen. <laughs> I'll know what you mean. You can yell amen between now and then as many times as you want, but when you yell it in 30 minutes, I'll know what you mean. <laughs> we're going to laugh some, we're going to cry a little maybe, I don't know. I'm going to tell you some stories here. I'm going to particularly tell you one story. And i, I got to be honest, <clears throat> I, I wrestled last night because I have some really cool faith stories, and I want to I wanna talk about faith this morning, but I want to talk about the, prof the profound revelation that faith is about, is about your connection with the Father. It is about, it's birthed out of intimacy. It's not, it's not an action before it's an intimate connection, and the action will actually have no impact, to the, or only will have impact to the extent that you have intimate connect connection. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. But I, I wrestled because I've got some amazing faith stories where God came through, where we, where we got out of the boat. You know, I'm a guy that likes to get out of the boat. You know, there's a storm, and I, my wife, sometimes she's like, honey, Jesus is in the boat. Would you please stay in the boat? <laughs> right? Like, sometimes I get out of the boat, and Jesus is like, oh, man, I'm in the boat, dude. Now i got to go get you. Right? If he's out there on the water, and he's walking, he calls you to him, go to him. If he's in the boat, stay in the boat. But I'm the kind of guy that in my life, I, I, I like to get out of the boat. Sometimes a good idea is, I'm, I'm on a good idea before I realize it's not a God idea. And, 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 yet, I, and yet God really, three times, listen, mostly when I ask God what to tell you, uh, what he wants to do this uh, on a morning, he just says, tell him I love him. And, and that's it. He leaves it there and then he laughs. <laughs> but he actually said, no, just have some fun. Tell this story. So listen, my, my dad's the story. My dad is here, my daughter, my nieces. So good to have them. So they've heard the story, but 
I want to tell you, there was this time that uh, I, 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 we're going to have some fun, okay? You ready? All right, I'm a storyteller, so we're going to do. I went uh, to visit my friend in Seattle. We surprised him. My wife, his wife, and me surprised him for his birthday several years ago. Got out there. He came in Thursday night. His wife had worked it out so he'd have Friday off. She told him she was going to take him out. And, uh, and so he comes in the door, and I'm sitting there with a, a Coke, uh, uh, you know, and I, and I, hey, man, how are you? And, and lots of hugging. I surprise him. It, it goes great. And, that, and then we have, to, we have to make a decision. We're like, we got we to gotta, uh, recognize this moment. And so we decide that night we're going to go skydiving. Anybody gone skydiving? We're going to go tandem skydiving. This is the plan. We're going to do it. Anybody heard this story? Don't accept that. Okay. We're going to go tandem skydiving. So, okay, we're excited. I am passionately excited about this. And so the next, and I'm not nervous. I don't know why. I'm just, man, get out of the boat. We're going to do this. We're going to mark the occasion. We, we get online. We book it for late morning. We get up early. We go out to breakfast. We have breakfast. We're having a conversation. We're excited. We're going skydiving, man. We're going to mark this occasion. We're talking about jumping out of an airplane, what it might feel like, the wind in your hair, and I didn't have any at the time, it was buzzed, but we were talking like, this is exciting, you know, and then we, and, and then we somehow we got off course, we started talking about what could go wrong, and, and we started talking about how there's a thing called the death, we don't know if it's called the death spin, but we call it the death spin, it's when, when you get spinning so fast out of control that you lose track of time, which is something you don't want to do when you're free falling, they've actually found jumpers, or maybe they're called landers, I don't know. <laughs> With, with splatters, I don't know what they call it, with, with, uh, with unopened shoots, and that's what happened. They got spinning so fast, they lost track of time, and they, and they didn't make it. That's where the joke comes in. Uh, you ever heard this joke? It's a parachute for, for sale, never been used, small blood stain. We are like light. We're like so excited. We're going to go jump out of this airplane. We get there. We drive up this gravel road. It's a shack. That was a little disconcerting because you'd like those guys to be smart and sharp. And, but we get in there. That's fine. We sign the papers. You know, they make you sign in triplicate. I will not hold you accountable if I succumb to death. Right? You sign all, the, all your rights away. I'm the idiot that wants to jump out of an airplane. Yes. And three times I will sign that. Right? They gave us jumpsuits. They looked like prison suits. They were orange. I've got pictures. They gave us uh, a helmet, but it was like a leather, old leather football helmet, and we laughed. We were like, this isn't for us. This is for the cleanup crew, just to make it more convenient for them. Sorry, was that too much? That's how light we were. Those are the kind of jokes we were making, right? Uh, the instructors came in finally, and they came in with the guys that jumped before. Those guys were high, because when you jump out of an airplane, you are excited afterwards and they came in and they popped the they had a, vi a video camera they connected to the tv we watched them they actually did flip out of the plane and we were like can we do that and the guys were like absolutely so now we're going to do flips out of the plane we get in the box fan now it was me my buddy and a couple a young couple and we get in a box fan with so there's four jumpers and four instructors they're going to be strapped to us if you if you jump with an instructor you get to free fall right we get to the we get in the box fan and we're laughing it's all light and the instructor's basically saying uh Hey, uh, you know, he's joking around because he can tell it's light. He's like, man, he says to the other instructor, he's like, hey, do you have the, the um, instruction manual on how to do this? I just want to brush, brush up, right? And we're like, that's hilarious, dude. That's awesome. Because that's how light we are. He, he gets, stand beside the plane. It's a Volkswagen bug with wings, okay? It's that small. 
comes up to us, and I'm light. The guy's instructor is talking. He's like, here's this. This is how you pull this chute. This is how you pull the reserve. You guys won't need to know that because we'll be fine. Oh, by the way, if you get spinning real fast, we're like, yeah, 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 the death spin. He looked at us weird like, what? That's not what it's called. But we were like that light, right? We get into the thing. We're strapped. He straps us on, and now I'm, it's kind of awkward because I'm sitting on this guy's lap. And so there's four of us, and we're... T- we're in this thing, and we're sitting on each other's laps, and we're just tight in there, and the plane comes down to the end of the runway, and I, I fist bump my friend, and I'm like, this is it, man. This is rock and roll, and the th- plane gets to the end of the runway, and, it ta- and, I, and as soon as the wheels leave the ground, a terror comes over me like nothing I have ever felt in my life. I mean, all of my bodily, every, all my muscles had to clench because all of my body was giving way. It was like absolute horror. And, 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 and it was a windy day in Seattle, so we were, just hitting, we were just hitting these bumps, and it was windy, turbulent, all the way up. And here's the thing. All I could think of the whole way up was, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this? How do I? It was with every heartbeat. How do I get out of this? 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 And I mean, I was like processing, and the best I could come up with is fake a seizure. And then I... <laughs> And, but then I was quick enough to realize that would actually force me out of the plane quicker than I was ready because the fastest way down, right? And, 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 I, and, and, I, and then the, the, the instructor says, oh, man, look at the skyline. It's beautiful. Seattle, man, Puget Sound, beautiful place. He said, look at the skyline. We can see Seattle skyline. I said it's beautiful, but I never saw it because I couldn't see it. He said, look at the mountains. Aren't they beautiful? I said, oh, they're gorgeous, but I never saw them. He said, look at the ocean. I was like, yeah, man, shut up. Yeah, it's awesome, man. It's great. It's great. How do I get out of this? How do I get out of this, dear Jesus? Then he's then the plane. Then he says, "Okay, I'm first. I'm in. I'm I'm seated in the first position." And we're in such a plane. It doesn't even have a door. It's you have to. It's a leather thing that's buttoned up. A leather canvas. That's. He says, "Open the canvas," and I said, "No." <laughs> but I did it anyway. Because by the way, there was a girl on the plane, and she seemed fine. <laughs> so I had to man up. I was like constantly going, "Come on, she's fine." Just look at her. Stay calm. Look at her. She's cool. We're cool. So I'm, I'm wrapping this thing up. I get it all the way up. <sighs> I can see. I can see. There's like 12, I think it was almost 12,000 feet to nothing right here. And we're, we're flying. This is how amazing uh, Rainier is. I had to look up for Rainier, and I'm looking down at the rest of the world. Rainier is like 14, 5 something. So just epic beauty. And then he says, swing your legs out. And I, I mean, I, I just was a robot. In my mind, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I have ever heard. But I did it. And I remember there was a bar, and I grabbed the bar. It was all of a sudden freezing cold. I grabbed the bar, and I grabbed the bar with this intensity because I didn't want to fall out of the plane. And then I remembered, that's stupid. <laughs> I'm about to jump out of this plane. And then later, I was like, someday I might find this ironic. But right now, this isn't funny. So now I'm hanging. I'm on the bar, and I am. Every muscle is tight. Every muscle is fighting. And the plane slows down, and I know what that means. And I'm like, dear Jesus. And I'm like, and then all of a sudden, the, the pilot yells, we missed the drop. We missed the drop, which you have to jump out of an airplane. It has a funnel, and you have to hit that funnel. If you don't, then they have to bring you back around so that, you la- that they can get you to land where they need you to land. Don't want to be landing in the trees or in a Walmart. They want you. <laughs> so the pilot, he says, he does this, and he, and he speeds up and turns. So I'm on this other plane, and all of a sudden he tilts. So this is like a minute of me like this, contemplating my death, <laughs> like this, every muscle tight. And I'm not lying, this is what starts to happen. I'm not lying, this is what starts to happen. I think to myself, 
I think to myself, oh, my God, I never asked this guy any questions. I know nothing about this guy. How's your home life? Have you, have you had any suicidal thoughts lately? Like, these are, the, these are legit thoughts that are going through my mind. I'm like, I know nothing about this guy. I'm about to put my life in his hands, and I was making jokes about a death spin. Like, what's going on? And then I remembered I, I, this joke I'd heard once, but it, it wasn't funny anymore because I thought to myself, I, I'm pretty sure it's not my time, but what if it's his? Right? I get to heaven, and God's like, what are you doing here? I'm with him. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is the kind of panic that I was experiencing. This is the kind of panic that was going on in me. And then I, I actually thought to myself, I, my buddy was still in the plane, safely in the plane. And, uh, and, and I looked at him, and I was trying to make signs, because the other thing that started to panic in my mind is I'm pretty sure that he attached us. Like, the things that were going on in my mind, all of a sudden, I'm like, but are we, like, really tight? Like, did he cinch us? Like, is he going to pull the chute, and I'm going to slip out? <laughs> and he'll be fine. I'll be dead. Like, these are the kind of, and so I'm trying to quietly, but I don't want to disconnect from this guy. Like, I don't want to undermine that my faith in him or my confidence in him because we don't know each other well. So I'm trying to, like, secretly go, are we connected? Are we, and my friend is looking at me like, I don't know what you want, man. Like, <laughs> and finally my friend yells something in it, and it changed everything. I've been writing a book. It had been my life's message up to that point. I had had an album come out uh, back when I was making music called Surrendered and Untamed. And I had just been finishing the book by the same title. And, and it was the revelation I was learning was that to the extent that I'm surrendered, to the extent that I'm intimate with him, to the extent that I have my chest upon his breast, to the extent that I know the perfection of his love to me, to the extent that I'm confident in his affection for me, to the extent that I'm sure in his absolute pleasure, is to the extent that I can live untamed. Radically chasing down my promises, radical acts of faith, radical believing, I can live absolutely untamed for him, for his glory, within the promise, within the purpose, within the destiny that I've been called to. And so my friend, knowing this journey that I was on, knowing the album that I'd put out many years earlier, knowing the book that was about to come out, he doesn't know what I'm trying to do to him, but he can probably see that I've, I've, my, my um, composure was starting to erode. He says this to me. He yells out, surrendered and untamed, baby. <laughs> and I got to be honest, this is what happens. I don't understand it, but this is what happens. All of a sudden, this peace came over me. And all of a sudden, all my muscles relaxed. I went, oh, I love you. I always wanted to do this. Oh, look at Seattle's beautiful. <laughs> the mountains are incredible. Look at that ocean. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Like an Irishman. I don't know why that sounded Irish. But I just sat there. I just sat in this guy's the stranger's lap. And I, and, I, and I worshiped God on the edge of this airplane. I just worshiped him. And then the plane slowed down again. And I, I'd like to tell you that terror didn't hit me again. But it slowed down again. But then it was really one. We rocked one, two, three. And then I was out of the plane. And the chute opened, too. Now, what's faith? Faith isn't the jump. 
Faith isn't about the jump before it's about the parachute. For so long in my life, I've, I've wanted to live these great works. You see, here's the thing, and we've got really good teaching on this in the last 10 years. We've been getting in Bethel, but it's, it's throughout, throughout the, the church, we've been getting really good teaching on our mandate, which is on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? That looks like what? That looks like sleeping in a storm. That looks like the peace of heaven being more real than the circumstances of earth that you can sleep in a storm. Amen? And then that looks like standing up and saying, peace be still to the storm, and imposing the reality you live in into the circumstances you're living in as well. Is that right? We've got great teaching on on earth as it is in heaven. We know our mandate. That's the mandate of the church. I think maybe 10 years ago, we weren't even sure of that. But now we've got some really good teaching. And if, and if, you're, if you're new, if you're, if you're saying, well, okay, what does that mean, Jason? It's simply this. We are called to live on earth as it is in heaven. We, and therefore, we have to know what heaven operates like so we can live on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And it requires faith. It requires the kind of radical faith. See, I want to tell you stories about going 18 months without paying my mortgage because God invited me into a story. Six months later, he's forgiven my second mortgage, and we have almost $100,000 of equity in our house. I wanted to tell you those stories, but God said, let's laugh a little. Let's go ahead and tell them the big epic story of the, of the plane, because I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie them together in a minute. But I want to tell you those stories, because those are big stories in my life, where we jumped, where we got out of an airplane, because God invited us, we jumped. During that season is when I wrote the book, Prone to Love. Every day, I couldn't pay my mortgage. I went to the coffee shop, and I wrote about the perfection of his love that answers all the questions that ache in the heart of humanity. But we know, we understand. So the mandate is on earth as it is in heaven. It's going to require great acts of faith. It's going to require great steps, great leaps. It's going to require getting out of airplanes. Amen? And we were all called to it. This church in particular, you wouldn't be here if you weren't called to great acts of faith. You'd have got scared as soon as the drums started playing. But you're called to move heaven to earth. You feel it. You wake up with that sense of purpose and destiny. It's part of what beats inside of you. It's part of what you designed for, and you know it. You're called to live on earth as it is in heaven. You're called to jump out of a plane. You don't jump out of a plane, though, without a parachute. That'd be stupid. So what is faith? Faith isn't the act. Faith is a belief in something greater. I didn't have faith in my jump. I had faith in the guy, and more importantly, we both had faith in the parachute. Amen? So while the mandate is on earth as it is in heaven, and the call is great acts of faith, I want to tell you that what's been burning in my heart for the last six months is that I believe the strategy is found in the scripture, in an in a, in a, in a interaction that Jesus had with his disciples. I want to read it to you. Thank you, Father. John 17. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So here's what I'm, say I'm saying. I believe that the mandate on earth as it is in heaven, 
it will require great acts of faith. But I believe that the strategy is intimacy. That the implementation of on earth as it is in heaven is intimacy. It's closeness with the Father. And intimacy is my passion. It's what I teach on. It's my, it's, it's the thing that just, I'm convinced if we can know him more and know him more fully and more, know him truly, often I talk about our God lens, that we would know him purely, that our revelation of him would be so pure that we could live from that revelation, amen? And I want to tell you about the greatest act of faith, and I got 10 minutes before somebody yells amen. <laughs> greatest act of faith was Jesus on his way to a cross. And here's how it went down. Just before he goes, he tells the disciples, time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will all leave me. You will leave me all alone. This is John 16. He says, yet I am not alone for the Father's with me. Now hear that. Yet I am not alone for the Father's with me. It's not much longer and Jesus is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples just before the cross. He goes into the garden. Now, Jesus has been living as an expression of intimacy, and he's been living as an expression of intimacy and faith. Amen? His connection here has allowed for him to walk everywhere as an expression of on earth as it is in heaven. And he's fulfilling a mandate from the strategy of oneness. Are you with me? Now he's on his way to the cross. He's only done what he's seen his father do. He's only said what he's heard his father say. And he's, at the, he's in the garden, and he's just told the disciples, everyone's going to leave, but the father won't leave me. And then he's in the garden, and he's praying, and he says, Father, if you could remove this cup, but not my will, but yours be done. You know the story? And he, and he, and he sweats drops of blood. He's in anguish. And I want to tell you now that there's been some teaching on this, these, this next step. That I, This is what I want, want to get after this morning, show you the greatest act of faith. He's in there, and he's in anguish. And he's in anguish not just because he knows what's going to come physically, but because he knows what's going to come relationally. He knows what's about to happen to the most important thing that's ever existed, his connection, his intimate connection, his access to his father. And so he's sweating drops of blood. And he, yes, yes, I don't want to downplay the, the physical pain that he went through. It was excruciating, guys. It was more than any other man could ever experience, any other woman has ever experienced. And here's why. Because the, the, the wages of sin is death. Jesus had never sinned. Therefore, you could beat him and never kill him. So he took a lashing beyond what was humanly possible. I don't want to undermine that, but I'm going to tell you that I have a core conviction that while Jesus was, was speaking to his father, if you could pass this cup from me, when he was speaking to his father, he wasn't necessarily just addressing that. He was addressing something else. He was addressing the disconnect that would come just a, 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 three, three days later, or, excuse me, the next day. But I want, to, I want to say, while he's interacting with father, catch this. He's only ever said what he, what he hears his father say. He's only ever done what he heard his father, what he's seen his father doing. And when he says, Father, if there's any other way, remove this cup, I want to tell you that the father was echoing it right back to his son. The father was saying, Son, if there's any other way, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus told us, no man takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Not even the father 
Do you know what, you want to know what a servant actually looks like? It's sonship. Anything else is broken. Obedience will always take you into intimacy and into connection. So I want to tell you that the conversation that was taking place there was not a father going, hey, you got to go. It was a father going, son, not my will, but your speed time. And for the joy set before them, he endured the cross. And the joy was what he was purchasing for us, intimacy and resurrection life. He goes to the cross. He's on the cross. And the first time ever in the entirety of his story, he always calls God Daddy. But there's this moment, and people have used this, teachers have used this. I'm, I grew up under this, this mistaken thought. People have used this moment where where Jesus is on the cross and he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As if the father may have turned his back. But he never turned his back. Jesus already said, you'd all leave me, but he's with me. And what he was doing was he was referencing Psalm 22. If you're a part of Jewish culture, you knew that when a first part of a psalm was referenced, the entirety of the psalm was being referenced. The whole psalm was being spoken. You didn't just say the first part. Everybody understood that when you said the first part, it was to, to read the whole psalm. It was a psalm of David, and like many of psalms of David, it starts out like this. God, where are you? And it ends with, but I give you everything because you are good and you won't leave me. And I want to read it to you just quickly. I'm going to read you just a few things from the psalm. You ready? It's Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 12. Just start familiar. This is what's happening through this. this. It goes, he says, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Verse 13, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. This is David. He's, he's talking about how hard it is, how horrible his experience is. But it's also a prophetic psalm, and everybody there knew what Jesus was pointing to. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and my bones are all out of joint. Sound familiar? My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. Verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a post hurt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Remember, Jesus asked for water. They gave him what? Vinegar? Verse 16, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. That's verse 17. People stare and gloat over me. In verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. This is David. Everyone there knows that Jesus has just pointed to David's psalm. The prophetic is taking place in front of them. And they see it taking place in front of them. And then verse 24. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Hear this. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened his cry for help. So the very scripture that we've distorted to suggest the Father turned away is the very scripture Jesus uses to tell us he's still here. He's still here. And he's watching. And he's heartbroken. And here's the thing I want to get at. The reason Jesus sweat blood was because he knew 
that he was about to go and take, skin, take sin on as a second skin. And it, what it would do is it would cut him off from access to something that was his lifeblood. It was, it was cut him off from access to the revelation of his father's affection, the revelation of his father's pleasure. He'd never experienced this type of separation before, and he knew that he was about to step in to the most devastating experience of humanity, and it wasn't just pain. It was the separation, the sense of separation from his father. But then he does the thing that wins it for all of us and gives us access to the same faith. He says the very next words he says is what? Daddy, Father, he calls him Dad. I can't see you. I can't touch you. I can't know you. Dad, I trust you. And into your hands I commit my spirit. Greatest act of faith was a son laying his life down and a father doing it with him. How do, you, how do you move a mountain? Faith. What is faith? He'll never leave or forsake us. Your love is perfect. It is always good. It's sovereign. It wins by me laying my life down. It resurrects. It leads to life. See, mustard seed faith is simply, he loves me, and his love is sovereign. His love is always good. You have mustard seed faith, and you move mountains. I'm convinced in the power of seed. I put all my eggs in this basket. Jesus tells this parable, a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky soil, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had, not, they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. My dad brought this up one day. It's a prophetic picture of this parable. <clears throat> the power of seed. Here's what I believe. I believe that when seed falls on the path and the birds pick it up, the seed's so powerful, it makes that soil rocky. So seed falls, it doesn't seem to be doing anything. Seed falls on rocky soil, grows up, right? Sun gets it, dies. But I believe that the seed falls on the rocky soil actually is more powerful, and it actually has the ability to change the soil. Stick with me. I understand that this, this scripture is about stewarding our hearts, amen? It's about creating a place for the seed to land, amen? But I'm going to tell you Jesus is the seed, and he's transformational. And I want to give you a prophetic picture, and then we're going to talk about Joshua and Caleb real quick. I did it. 
the seed falls on the pathway. I believe the seed is powerful. Pathway becomes rocky. Seed falls on the rocky, pure seed. Changes the narrative of that soil. It becomes weeded. Seed falls on that. Still not a lot of growth. Gets choked out. Plant grows, gets choked out, right? But then the seed changes the nature of the soil again until finally the seed is falling on good soil. This is the word for the church. There's many in this room that can take this word. Joshua and Caleb are sent into the promised land. For the sake of time, I'm going to run through the story really quick. You okay? Everybody all right? Joshua and Caleb are part of 12 spies. Israel has just been released. They've just left slavery. Moses has led them. They've left slavery 400 years in slavery. I think it's 10 days they get to the border, however many days they get to the border, 1.5 to 2 million um, Israel, Israelites. Moses sends in 12 spies to check out the promise of God, <clears throat> the promise of God. <clears throat> and Joshua and Caleb come back with, they're part of those 12 spies. They all come back, they give the same report. The land is beautiful, flowing with milk and honey, right? It's gorgeous. They bring back fruit. Oh, this is unbelievable. And then they all give their commentary. And the commentary by 10 is, there's giants in the land. We are but grasshoppers in their sight. You know what? But then there's these two guys, Joshua and Caleb. They give, the prom, they give their commentary, and their commentary has a different perspective because their commentary is from heaven to earth. They understand the mandate, right? This is the promise. That's the promised land. He's the promise giver. He's good. And we know who we are because of who he is, and so we can take them. And that's what they say. Unfortunately, the 10 unbelieving spies, the 10 spies who Jesus would have called a perverse, what did he call them? A perverse generation. That's what he would have called it, an unbelieving generation. These 10 spies, they, they talk Israel into settling and becoming nomads. Now, here's what happens. Israel has to to wait out a generation. But I want to put you right on the ground with Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb aren't thinking to themselves, okay, we got to just survive for 40 years. Joshua and Caleb aren't thinking, let's go count the numbers. Let's go add it up. Well, year one, let's go see. Is Hezekiah still alive? You know, know, let's go. They weren't doing that, guys. They were in the middle of the story. We have hindsight. We can read it. We understand. But they were in the middle of this narrative. They were in the middle of it. And here's what they did every day. They got up and they had mustard seed faith. Every day they got up and they said, I believe who he is. I believe who I am. I believe what he's promised us. And Caleb would have Caleb's at two and on Thursdays. And everybody, he would, he would, Caleb was a crazy guy. Everybody thought Caleb was crazy, right? You've been this guy? Caleb's like, hey guys, come on. And they're all like, no, man, we'd rather live in the desert. You know, it's good. We'll just, we'll do uh, streams in the desert. That'd be great. You know why there's streams in the desert? Because if he gave you rivers, you'd stay. Joshua and Caleb say no, and so one year passes, two year passes. They're the crazy guys. They're the crazies. They're walking around, and they're like, because, you know, they tore their clothes when they couldn't go. They were, and so they're just running around going, guys, this is who he is. This is who we are. And people are like, man, stay away from those guys. They had those crazy tent meetings on Tuesday nights at Caleb's, and on Thursdays, they're like, they're just messed up. Those guys are wild. Stay away from them. Ten years go by, and they're still 
they're sowing their seed on rocky soil. They're sowing their seed on the path. They're sowing their seed on the rocky soil. And 10 years go by. And they're like, hey, guys, this is who he is. This is who we are. This is where we're going. 20 years go by. They're getting older. Hey, guys, this is who he is. This is where, where we're going. This is who we are, right? 30 years go by. All of a sudden, there's some young ones hanging out at the tent. They're like, oh, man, what's he saying? What's he saying? 35 years go by. I'm telling you, they're not looking around for Jebediah to finally trip over something. This isn't what's happening. They're not waiting for a generation to die. That's not faith. They wouldn't have made it if they were just going to hang out in the desert for 40 years. No, they were believing it was seed. It was mustard seed. We know who he is. We're keeping our intimacy, and we're going to run at this thing, and we know who he is. We know who we are. We know what he's promised us. 37 years, 38 years, 40 years, and all of a sudden, two men, two men, two men who knew who they were and knew who God was changed the hearts and minds of 1.5 million, and they moved four. 100 years of slavery, 10 generations of orphans from one mindset into another. Why? Because of the power of seed. How do you move a mountain? Faith. You keep your intimacy connected. And all of a sudden, two men, two men who've been believing amidst a sea of unbelievers, two men who have been championing the kingdom of heaven, the mandate on earth as it is in heaven, staying intimate, staying connected, knowing who they are, have changed the minds and hearts set of 1.5 to 2 million unbelievers until they are ready to take the land. And I believe that this is a body who has been stewarding the seed. They've been stewarding their faith, praying for our city, praying for our nation, looking for great acts of faith that are rooted and grounded in our intimate connection with him. I believe that over this house there is um, a shift that's taking place. I really do. I believe that, and I believe it's for the body. I believe it's for us. I mean, I, I, I'm burning with this word because I, I'm passionate about intimacy because I know that intimacy is the birth of these great acts of faith that actually move the mountain. I don't want to just talk about moving a mountain. I actually want to move a mountain. I want to be able to jump when he says jump and know who he is so that I understand that everything he's, that he's got it, that my intimate connection with him is so perfect, that his love is so perfect for me. That's why I want to talk about the father and, and the son relationship and let you no, he never turns his back. He absolutely is perfectly loving, and we can absolutely trust him, right? You can't have intimacy with someone you can't trust, and if he isn't always good, you can't always trust him. Does that make sense? And so you have access to intimacy because of his nature. Jesus understood the nature of the Father. It empowered him to, do the, to live the greatest act of faith ever and give us access to that same intimacy and that same faith. And I believe that we are on the cusp of a great move in our nation, and a great move of God. I believe that this is a forerunner church. I believe that you've been stewarding intimacy well, the connection with his presence, the connection with his family, the connection with his love. That seed has been stewarded well, and I believe that it is changing the nature of the soil, guys, in this city, and it's moving from rocky soil to thorny soil, the soil that can actually grow a crop 160 and 30-fold. Amen? And I also believe that there are people in this room People in this room, I'm one of them, I'm telling you, I put all my eggs in this basket. I've been crazy Caleb for 30 years. 44 years. 
I, I figured until 14, I maybe was, I was normal. <laughs> the guy that's saying, I'm living for something more than just a Sunday morning service. I'm living for something more than just a good feeling on a Wednesday night. I don't want to just raise my kids to be prim and proper and make some money. I want to change the world. I was born for it. And you were born for it. Amen? And there's some in here who have promises in their heart. You've, you've been crazy Caleb, crazy Joshua, year in and year out. But you've stewarded the intimacy. You've stewarded the seed. The mustard seed is a connection to the intimacy that you have with it. It's, a, it's about intimacy. And if you have that kind of intimacy, you'll move a mountain. I promise you. When Jesus said you have little faith, he was saying you have little revelation. You have little intimacy. But all you need is a mustard seed intimacy to move a mountain. All you need is a pure revelation of my perfect love for you. All you need is to make that the foundation of your faith. And watch what I do. Because guess what? Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Would you stand? pray. I, I want to pray a blessing over this church first, and then um, I want to, uh, let's do this. Father, I just thank you for this body. I thank you for every yes in this room. I thank you for every heart. Lord, right now, I just ask, Lord, even, uh, I, there's such a yes in the room. I'm just going to declare it over everyone right away. Just put your hands up. I just declare a great revelation of the sovereignty of your love over every individual in this room. Father, any place in our lives where we've believed that the Father turned his back right now, I just ask for a, a spirit of repentance. Lord, I pray that over. I pray grace over every person in this room to see that you are there, that you are always good, that you are sovereignly good, working things to good for us in our lives. Lord, I just pray over this congregation as a whole, over John and Tiffany. Lord, I thank you that they're stewarding a yes over this place, and I say yes to this, Lord. I add my yes to this yes, and I ask that you would come, that you would fall in power and manifestation, yeah. that the glory would fall in this place, that again, people would walk in the door, they would experience your presence, Father, but not just that, that the mountains would be moved outside of this place, Father, we even call them mountains, mountains of education, mountains of industry, Father, mountains of entertainment, Father, we are the mountain movers, and we just say, I speak intimate connection over everyone in this room, a closer revelation of your perfect love. In Jesus' name. And Father, I speak to the promises on, on some of the lives here that they've not understood why they've been hidden and why they've waited. Lord, just as this church is coming out of hiding, I declare that there's a season of coming out of hiding over everyone in this room. In Jesus' name, I release it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let me read this to you, and then I know you're coming up, right, AJ? AJ, because I called you Andrew. But we're, we're now AJ. Let me read this for you. I had this in my heart. Everybody okay? One second. The children's workers aren't mad at me. Mark 11, 22, 24. This is another part where Jesus is talking. Have faith in God. We've actually said it's, we, 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 it's about moving a mountain. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, I'm not going to give you the context. He says, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they, uh, what they say shall happen, it will be done for them. And here's what it says, have faith in God. But we actually understand that this comes from um, a translation. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you translate this, it's actually have the faith of God. 
that it's actually been poorly translated, that we actually can translate that have the faith of God. See, available to us is the mustard seed faith that Jesus revealed on his way to the cross. It's actually available to us. To know his, his love for us that perfectly is available to us. And what, what, what this scripture is saying is when you have that faith, that mustard seed, that pure revelation, listen, anything's possible. You say to the mountain, move, and it moves. Amen? Amen. 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 Love you guys. Go ahead, bro. Thank you so much, Jason. That was amazing.